I rehabbed, you know, a couple hours a day at PT and uh, did homework for five days a week, you know, Monday through Friday when I could get into the PT office. And, um, and I started the tour of Utah three and a half months later while walking with a cane, um, but racing the tour of Utah. And That's I finished crazy. it. And that was what convinced uh, Trek to sign me was like, okay, you, you rode your bike for three weeks after not walking for three months. You know, if you could finish the tour of Utah, we think you can come back. And the big question is this, how do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Hello, Roadman. Welcome back to another Roadman Podcast. Another Wednesday, another Roadman Podcast. I hope you're well wherever in the world you're listening and you're ready to tune in now for another 60 minutes of my absolute incoherent babbling and ramblings. Uh, I've got a really cool guest today. I've got Peter Stetna. Peter Stetna is a rider who is probably on the tip of a lot of your tongues if you're starting to get into the gravel scene. He's, in my mind, there's Peter Stetna, Ian Boswell and Ted King. A little bit of a trifecta, if you will, are the three guys who are really leading the charge in this transformative sort of, I suppose, revolution, we could call it, within cycling. Uh, that's going on at the moment and we're seeing yeah we're definitely seeing him spearheaded and he's coming from a place of a lot of credibility he's not a blow-in he is what we would term a bona fide roadman and worthy of the next guest on this podcast he had a very successful world tour career in his own right where he finished it out riding with Trek Segafredo before he had a stint with BMC and he had a stint with Garmin Transitions even shepherding Ryder Hegedal to overall Giro d'Italia win in I think that was 2013 could be wrong could be wrong but he was pivotal that day up the Silvio I do remember that and we get into that and we talk about it and it's a very interesting conversation he's a fascinating guy he's a guy who's in the detail and he's a guy who I actually might get back as we get deeper and the gravel scene launches and we might get him back and do you know a little bit of a Pete Stettinus corner because he has unlimited wisdom and he's a guy who very much unapologetically says he's not on a retirement lap the transition from road to gravel is not Pete Stettner retiring from cycling. It's very much him upping the ante, doubling down on what he loves and carving a new genre in cycling. So really excited to bring you this. Before I bring you this, two very quick announcements. I launched the Roadman merch, which went down a treat last week. Uh, the Roadman merch, I'm going to leave the link in the description down below. It's one of the ways you can support this podcast. Go buy yourself a cap, buy yourself a jersey, buy yourself a jersey in a smaller size. As I've had a few people contacting me and doing, it's aspirational. You can grow into it. I'm going to leave the link to the Roadman merch down below. All quality swag. Secondly is the Patreon podcast, uh, the Patreon podcast, the Patreon page. The Patreon page is how I support this podcast. It's the lifeblood of this podcast. If you're listening to this podcast now, please jump on over to Patreon. And I want to talk to you just really briefly as I came across this during the week. Uh, 
in response to someone sent me a message, what is the idea of the Patreon? And if we rewind historically, patronage is not a new concept. And you had, say, Michelangelo and the church would give him a sum of money. They were his Patreon. And you'd have one Patreon, the church, and they'd say to Michelangelo, right, you fuck off there now and you paint that ceiling for the next year. And he had to try and be creative within the narrow confines of the job description they gave him, paint religious symbolism on the church roof for the next year. And he had to try and weave his creativity into that. But if he paint, goes and paints a swastika on the church roof, they come along and go, no, you can paint over that. We don't like that at all. So they have complete creative control over him. When I think about it, the modern form of that autonomous patronage is a sponsor, getting one title sponsor on. Because if you get a title sponsor on, they have total control over it. If I go and I criticize the race organizers at the Giro d'Italia, the ASO, but my sponsor is affiliated with the ASO, they go, you know what, I didn't really like that podcast, you know, with Pete Stetner. You're kind of advocating for gravel race and we want to push a road agenda. Take that one down. And that's not what I want. I want this podcast to grow. I'm not saying I'll never take on sponsors, but I want to at least deleverage that because if I have a body of patrons, you guys, you guys supporting this podcast, no one person has creative control. So if a sponsor comes in, I'm not completely beholden to them because I can just say, look, I have a bunch of patrons here. Like I'm keeping them happy. They're what fund this podcast. They've been here from the start. So it's a way to keep creative control it's a way to make sure the content doesn't become sterile and i know i listen to so many cycling podcasts and we're in a sterile cycling podcast world at the moment where everyone's afraid to say fuck everyone's afraid to give their real opinion on stuff and i don't want the roadman podcast to become that so please if you don't want the roadman podcast to become that jump on over to patreon.com forward slash anthony underscore Walsh. I'm going to leave the link in the description down below and buy me a coffee. Buy me a coffee or a pint of beer once a month and just say, good lad. Thanks for the podcast. Help me keep that creative control. Okay, I've rambled on enough. You came to listen to Pete Stetner and not listen to me. Pearls of wisdom in this podcast. Pete Stetner. Pete Stetner, welcome to the Rubman Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Man, I'm excited about this chat. Yeah, me too. It's, uh, thanks for reaching out. It gives me something to do during the, the sit-in-place orders going on. Yeah, although we were just talking before we went on air, you've got a, a pretty liberal interpretation of the lockdown compared to us going on. You're going for like a 200-plus K ride today? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in the U.S., um, uh, they're starting to release some restrictions, and... Uh, Riding your bike is and exercise is still considered an essential activity, um, and uh, it's just about being responsible doing it. You know, I'm. It might be a long day, but I'm not uh, pushing the limit in terms of crazy downhill trails. And I'm I'm trying to plan my water stops. And um, like everybody, I kind of been wallowing uh, in in the motivation department, kind of wondering what the hell I'm doing. So some days it's good, some days it's bad, but. I kind of got the uh, the fire in me yesterday um, to uh, to go for a really big one. I kind of just all I needed was this this idea of a cool route, and uh, that that got that made me want to do it. So uh, yeah, thanks for it's a little early my time, but um, yeah, thanks for 
meet my schedule. No hassle. Uh, we're in kind of an uncertain time. How does, what's that look like for your motivation when we're just not sure when we're going to be back racing bikes again? It just seems so low down everyone's priority list. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's hard for the motivation. Um, I hope it's not too low on everyone's priority. On the, on the government officials who don't ride bikes, it is. But I mean, there's an entire industry around this and a lot of people's livelihoods around all sporting events, not just bikes. I mean, I think there's also a lot of um, political lobbying and, and general communal mental health around having mass sporting events, um, you know, political money in terms of sporting arenas, which are even more high risk. But I mean, it's not just basketball players. It's, you know, the, the janitors, the, the stadium vendors, all these people. I mean, there's too much industry to really like not let events happen, in my opinion, until fall of 2021 or whatever the most conservative point is. I mean, you'll just, you'll royally screw people's livelihoods over for forever. So um, I hope we're, we're moving back soon. Um, and typical cycling. I don't think we're going to have a joined up sort of fronts, definitely in the world tour guys anyway, seeing uh, Brailsford and Bjorn Reese kind of, were you following this? Um, yeah. Brailsford's like, basically I'll prioritize the safety of the team and Bjorn Reese is, well, we should prioritize the collective good of cycling. I think that's typical yeah. of cycling, just not having a united front and stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. And that's always been cycling's problem. It's just so global. It's so international that, um, and everyone has their own opinion and there's no real concertive uh, unifying voice to really push. I mean, and I was, I, you know, I was early days of the North American Riders Union when I was in the World Tour, uh, trying to get that established and push that bigger. And, and the Riders Union has a bit more power now, but it's still a joke. I mean, I don't know if cycling all, it just, it just never got its foothold. And then it, it just fostered that way. And it's, it's really hard to break down those. And I'm sure this is something that's close to your heart after the bad crash you had was that to our Basque country. Um, and I know rider safety in that intersection of spectator entertainment versus rider safety is something that's it's a difficult balance to get. And it looks like the riders are losing that balance and it's becoming more, you know, spectator. You know, it's nearly shock and awe tactics from the courses they're designing. Yeah, sometimes. Um, and I'm, I'm of both opinions. You know, there are just silly things. Like, you know, my crash in the Basque Country, I mean, that was just negligence. I mean, there was a finishing straight and there wasn't barriers covering metal poles in the road and people from the side of the road. I mean, it was, that was just a joke. But, um, you know, I, I also think that there's, I mean, at the end of the day, professional sport is entertainment and it's marketing and, and people, including riders talk about the Roubaix stage coming up and what they're going to run or this crazy dirt road or, or anything like that. Like, I mean, I think for cycling to appeal and to be a more, uh, profitable sport for all players. I mean, I think there should be some sort of fun craziness going on. It just doesn't need to be stupidly dangerous. Um, but I mean, that's for when we actually get racing again. <laughs> and it's not my problem anymore because now I'm a gravel racer. <laughs> yeah, I, I want this podcast. I want most of it to be forward looking, but there's definitely <laughs> something that people, you know, if I don't touch on them ever and I'd be like, oh my God, you had beat on the podcast and you didn't even ask about X. Of course. You want to talk to us about that crash and, you know, first for anyone who hasn't seen the crash, just maybe explain what happened. Yeah. Um, 
tour of the Basque country, uh, 2015. Um, I believe it was stage one. I was with BMC racing at the time, uh, finished in downtown Bilbao. Uh, we went over this big cat two climb, uh, maybe 20 Ks from the finish or something. And then, uh, screamed downhill into downtown Bilbao. And, um, so it was a reduced bunch, but you know, there's like probably 60 something guys in the Peloton still. And, um, I was just, uh, going to finish in the middle of the pack. I mean, I'm not a sprinter by any means. So just, get in, pack time, get ready for the next day. Uh, we round the final bend and the lead outs are all going. Um, and there were these metal poles uh, about one meter out on the road, some, some parking bollards. Um, and they weren't barricaded off. There was, there was no padding. There was nothing there. They were just open in the middle of the road. And, um, you know, and there's the last minute some moto cop had put a, a an orange cone on the top. That was the only protection. So maybe you seen that it. picture. It's, it's <laughs> disgraceful. Um, um, so yeah, it was just. I mean, the guys in the front were full sprint, like head down. You know, not even looking up, like barreling towards the finish. Sixty k an hour, I think, is what my GPS said at the moment of impact. And uh, you know, that they they look up last minute they just see it and they kind of swerve out of the way and me being in the middle of the group it just opened up in front of me and boom uh metal pull straight to the kneecap blunt force impact um so cracked my tibia all the way down running along the bone uh five ribs lcl and uh the biggest one was i completely exploded my kneecap into a bunch of pieces um so What's that, what's that like lying on the ground? I remember I had a crash in France riding for a French team and it was coming off a descent in the Pyrenees and a similar uh, type situation. It was a traffic island, wasn't marked, no stewards. Oh. The bunch just split left and right. I seen it at the last second, hit the traffic island. I can remember like slow motion going through the air and landed on the ground and then going to move and just not being able to move. Like your instinct is as a bike rider, yeah. I got to get back yeah. up here, I got to get in. But you know, just not being able to move. And then at that moment, just thinking, oh shit, this is bad. Did you have a yeah. similar type? You know, it's, yeah. And it's crazy how many stories there are in cycling. I mean, and that, that's what blows me away is, um, I mean, I, I've, I, every year you hear a, a story somewhat like this. Um, and Craig Lewis is another guy in American pro who that happened to him in the Giro traffic island in the middle of a rainy stage lined out, uh, crack done like that ended his career. Um, and for me, it was not that slow mo. Oh, Oh shit moment. It was like all of a sudden I was on the ground, but similar to you, it was like, it was such a traumatic hit. Like, I don't think my brain had even caught up. Like I was trying to get up and I think it was so heavy that it probably killed a lot of nerves and impact. So I remember like you bike racer, like, okay, get up. Just the finish line's right there. Just like you're in three K get to the line. And then all of a sudden there was paramedics and the, the team director, like holding me on the ground. And they're like, no, no, you're not finishing this one. And then the pain really start to set in all of a sudden. And then the ambulances and, and all that afterwards. When you were recovering from that injury as an extensive recovery and rehab you had to go through, you know, your identity, this is something I'm fascinated about because as bike riders, 
everything you do in your life is, especially a world tour rider, everything you do in your life is about performance. And then you're faced with possibly not making it back to the world tour, possibly not cycling again, never mind making it back to the world tour. Do do you have a little bit of an identity crisis in those dark days going like, if I'm not a bike rider, like who am I? Oh, for sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I mean, yeah, I was uh, through and through world tour racer and that was, what I did, all my passions, you know, um, and uh, I was coming into the peak of my career, and uh, I mean, yeah, you, you go through a lot of those moments, and, and I think most of the world, they wrote me off, you know, most team directors, most fans, every, almost everybody just said, okay, his career's done, like a kneecap, I mean, that thing bends a million times every freaking ride you go on. I mean, that needs to be perfect. So, um, I mean, most people expected that I was done. And doctors said, you know, depending on how this recovery goes, um, you may ride a bike again, you may walk again, or if the bone doesn't survive, I mean, we're going to have to cut your leg off. Like, it's just a wait and see kind of thing. Holy um, shit. So, it was, because it was just, it, it was, uh, it was cracked down pretty severely from the, the, the tip of the bone, you know, where like the marrow and all that is. So, um, but like, how do you deal with that with hearing those words from a doctor? Oh, there was a lot of dark days, you know? And, and I mean, I, I, I kind of just decided at one moment once, I mean, I don't think we have enough time in this podcast for it, but just the whole extrication from the U S and even trying to get home. I mean, that's a freaking novel and it and an adventure story in itself but um it's crazy I, uh, isn't it because i was talking on a podcast a couple of weeks ago and i had a bad crash in i'll i'll give you the, the abbreviated version of this one but i had a bad crash in detroit it was my last bad crash actually before i stopped full-time cycling okay. um, it was a bunch sprint in a criterium in detroit and i was on the ground and i'd broken like ribs shoulder collarbone Badly road rash and a collapsed lung. So I was struggling for breath and stuff. And ambulance comes over and he's like, you know, well, what do you want to do here? And I was like, you know, what do you mean? What do I want to do? Like, take me to the fucking <laughs> hospital. Like, um, oh my God. Then he's yeah. like, do, do you have health insurance? And I started thinking, you know, I'd been through law school at this stage and I started thinking terms and conditions. It's like, if I go into the hospital here in a skin suit with a number on my back, I'm not sure if this covers me. Uh, oh God. And so uh, anyway, after a bit of consultation with my girlfriend at the time and the ambulance driver, I decided the best course of action was to get into the car, get a bottle of whiskey, my girlfriend to drive me back across the border and go to hospital in Canada. Oh and my God. It was horrific. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Coming across the border and, you know, US Border Patrol, like they're not nice dudes at the best of time. No, not at all they're like oh did you have a good weekend i have like a bike smashed in half on the roof <laughs> cut to pieces oh my god yeah that that's a gnarly one that is rough um man <laughs> yeah, it was bad it was bad uh let's rewind out of that one into uh something a bit more positive uh, i'm sure you yeah. have your own career highlights but for me when you really sprung into my attention was as one of the leading mountain domestics for Ryder Hedgedal in his year Italia win. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Uh, yeah. You know, that was a, uh, pivotal moment in my career. One of many, um, that was pre-crash. Oh, and really quickly. So, but yes, I mean, while I was rehabbing, I just, I, 
I had two thoughts. One was I want to, even if I don't ever race again, I want a working leg and a working body because I got a ways to go and I'm young. And yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm still a pro except my training now is to rehab my leg and I'm still paid as a pro. And so when was your, um, con- when was your contract uh, up? It was the end of that year. Okay. Um, actually. So, I mean, I was getting paid by BMC, but I was on a contract year and things were looking good for a renewal and then it just stopped cold Turkey. Um, and, uh, but they were still paying me, um, and they were supporting me and using all the medical resources and they're good doctors. So I, uh, I rehabbed, you know, a couple hours a day at PT and, uh, did homework for five days a week, you know, Monday through Friday when I could get into the PT office. And, um, and I started the tour Utah three and a half months later while walking with a cane, um, but racing the tour Utah and I finished it. And that was what convinced, uh, Trek to sign me was like, okay, you, you rode your bike for three weeks after not walking for three months. You know, if you could finish the tour Utah, we think you can come back. And so that was what saved my career was that dedication. But at the meantime, like you, I was, I had a whole nother business plan and I had to think really hard on what I want to do next. And, and I, I had started going down that rabbit hole for sure. Um, anyway, um, Giro, uh, that was amazing. That was, uh, 2012. Um, be, yeah, being part of that and, and taking the responsibility of that race, you know, as a team and as the Americans taking it to the, the Italians and the Spaniards, you know, and, um, it's wild it was, even thinking that that was eight years ago now. Cause I remember sitting on the couch, like it was last summer watching I that know. last Stilvio stage when, uh, Thomas de Gens, was it attacked? Yep. Thomas de Gens coming out party as the breakaway specialist of, to beat all breakaway specialists. And insane. You know, it was, that was a wild one, you know, and he wasn't even in the forethought of our minds. It was all about a uh, rider versus, Perito and Basso and, and Scarponi and it was uh all of a sudden it was DeGent and it was yeah we had gone we was stage 20 we'd gone over the Motorola um and the breakaway was up the road with uh Thomas DeGent and Christian Vandeveld on our team um Christian was just sitting on getting ready to you know either drop back or, or go for the stage win or whatever because we had a rider in the pink jersey there Actually, he might have not been in the pink jersey. I can't remember. If, he, if him and Perito were like leapfrogging each other by like 10 seconds each way for like the whole third week. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I, I, I was like pretty much the only domestique to make it over the Mortarolo uh, with, with the leaders. So there was maybe like 20 guys or something in the front group and um all the leaders were kind of looking at each other and i just went straight to right to the front for this big valley between the mortarolo and the start of the stelvio and i just started pulling full gas um because degent was threatening rider's position and um i just i sold out into the bottom of the stelvio and then you know we got on the radio and told christian to come back and and help chase this because degent was and Thomas again, and he would not come back. <laughs> like he was actually opening the gap, and um, and Christian came back and started to rotate with me. And I told him, like, dude, no, like Stelvio's long. I'm already 
like I've already burnt most of my matches. Like, let me just finish it out and go all into the bottom of this climb and then you take over. And then you, you know, and, and Christian was able to do, you know, probably half of the Stelvio or a third of it or whatever, however far he made it up that, you know, chasing Thomas back. Um, and I, yeah, that was, that was a big moment to, to try to save a race like that. And it worked and Ryder, um, hung on, um, I think Perito nipped him by a few seconds, but he got it in the stage 21 time trial the next day in Milan. But that was epic. I remember the, the team was so queued up and, and they were so into the battle. Like, you know, I swung off and the Stelvio, I mean, that's like an hour and a half long climb or something. Like, holy and, shit. And, and I, so I swing off and, and like, I mean, I was, that was my race done, like stage 20. And, and, I have no more food, no more gels. The team sends <laughs> me a little can of Coke, you know, like a little like 150 milliliter can, and they race off to continue like the battle with Christian and Ryder and support and tactic and radio. <laughs> and I had this little can of Coke to get me up the mountain. And I got like another one from a fan on the side of the road. And I finally get to the top and it had gone well. And, you know, they had whisked Ryder away for, for podium and, and changing. and they had a, a, a helicopter hired to get us from the top of the Stelvio to Milan because it would be fast and we could recover better than, um, than like the five hour road trip through the serpentine Dolomite river. That's pretty cool. Highway, you know? And, and so I get to the top though, and they're all focused on rider and lo and behold, like I'm blown out. Like I have no sugar left in my body. Like I am a zombie <laughs> and they're like, Oh, you have doping control. <laughs> oh no and so i uh the the team doctor was there waiting for me and and he gave me his puffy jacket because it's on the top of the stelvio and it's like threatening to snow right <laughs> and, and i had to sit in this tin can like a freaking sardine uh with no heat no insulation and no water in my system because i was so effed uh trying to pee and then, you know, we, they waited for me and they like rushed me out. Pete, you're holding us up. And I got straight on the chopper and we had this surreal ride like over the peaks of the Dolomites that I still remember. But I just got so sick just not being able to recover right <laughs> that night. Like, I mean, I, I was able to put down like a half a plate of pasta, if that. And, and did, the did next any, day, uh, did any of the Garmin boys do the Arnold Schwarzenegger, get to the chopper? Oh, totally. <laughs> it was, you know, it was, I was still like so jazzed at that moment, but then it was just the next day. Like I just, I barely made time cut in the TT. I think like it was, I was a shell of a person. Oh, that's horrific. But it's good. Christian yeah. Yeah. He still, Christian still tells me that was the day I got hair on my chest. I became a man. So. I was listening. I was talking to uh, Christian Meyer last week and he was telling me after Christian Vanderveld retired, he brought his bike bag home from the last race and didn't take his bike out of the bag for two years. I don't know about that. I thought Christian stayed pretty relevant from what I remember. Him and George do all these events together. And I don't know. It sounded pretty know. crazy. There's definitely it? pros that do that and there's pros that keep riding. It, was just, it, I mean, it sounded horrible to me. Like at some point, he must have loved the sport. Yeah, I mean, and he still does. You see how much he rides now, and he's a commentator. And yeah, actually, I must get him on the podcast. I hear he's a really interesting dude. Yeah, yeah, Christian's great. Uh, let's flick the the lens forward. Uh, what's the moment where you thought 
Okay, let's give this gravel a crack. It's Belgian waffle ride. Um, you know, it was a. It wasn't like a a relevation. Just all of a sudden, let's do this. You know, let's change everything. It was. It was more of a a slow awakening, I guess. You know, it was. It was very thought out and considered because Belgian waffle ride was the first. You know, I did BWR last year um, under my own impetus and Trek agreeing to let me do some of these quote unquote alternative races. And, um, and that was, you know, that was the first one. And that was, you know, that was, that was kind of like love at first sight. And that was what really set me down this path that changed my entire career. Uh, but, um, I mean, I, I love BWR, but then I hopped right back into the tour of California, the Dauphiné. Um, all right, and I, I did Dirty Kansas after that as well. Um, and I love that just as much. Which and looks it was, epic hard. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's totally its own thing. You can't even, it's kind of like Roubaix. Like you just can't even, if someone does amazing at BWR, it doesn't mean they're going to do good at any other gravel race and vice versa. You know, it's like, it's just its own freakishly crazy thing. And it's so cool just to experience it. It's yeah. one of those things where people just say, you can see the videos and all that and the grime and the grit pictures, but like until you're there feeling it. And the cool thing is everybody can do this, not just the pros. And, um, like we have a bunch of coaching clients who went out and done it. Yeah. And, uh, like the stories they have, but they're changed men yeah. after. Yeah. Um, but my focus was still very much world tour and, you know, it was very, you know, I was, it was very, uh, direct from Trek that, you know, it's like, yeah, like these are fun and they're good marketing, but, um, you're still a world tour racer. And, you know, and my goals were tour Utah and the Vuelta and, and all these things. So it was, uh, um, I was still very focused much on, I mean, I guess my day job, you could call it. And, uh, and I did Leadville, which is a mountain bike race, but it is gravel. I mean, it's, it's pretty tame technical wise and it's long, it's endurance. It's the, the mass participation, um, it's the vibe that is gravel. Right. Um, and, uh, and it, it, it just kind of became this moment where I realized just seeing the social media metrics, the attention around it, that like, this is valuable and there's something here. I mean, this is crazy. But and obviously I don't have access to your, I'm not coaching. I don't have access to your training numbers and stuff, but it would have looked to me like you still have a, bit of time like a good few years left at world tour level like you, yes you weren't on the wane no not at all um and that's what a lot of people think is you know it's oh these guys who come race gravel they're on a retirement tour um well i think that know, has been fair but typically because you know ted king i had ted on a few weeks ago and yeah you know ted pretty much done it as a a, a wind down and ian boswell like i chatted to him as well and he doesn't yeah. consider himself a pro cyclist anymore yeah. And it, everyone's different. Everyone has their angle and what they're pursuing. And for me, it was very much like, no, I mean, I'm 32 right now. I'm in the prime of my career. I'm hitting my best numbers yet this year, even compared to last year racing gravel. I just set a five minute watt PR for going for a, a local Strava Hill just to stay motivated yesterday. And give, give us some of those juicy numbers. I did 470 watts for five minutes. Oh, and what, I'm, what are you uh, 64 kilo 
So, oh, you're doing the same power as me, and I'm like 79 kilos. <laughs> oh, um, that sucks, man. And and I, uh, but I mean, these races are big enough and they're important enough that you know they deserve to have guys focus on them solely. Fast guys. I mean, I think that's honoring the 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 discipline and it's honoring the race and the event. And I, I kind of had this moment when um, the world tour, except for EF education, wasn't ready to adapt to this alternative calendar, even though sponsors loved it in Europe, the, the Euro world tour managers, I mean, world tour road in Europe is fine and healthy. Whereas in the U S sponsorships are drying up. Races are stopping like the tour of California. Um, local domestic races are going away. Um, and so the Euro managers are like, that's not my priority. I run a world tour team. It's world tour racing. And, um, and so it was kind of this moment where I, I couldn't find a team to let me do both. Um, and it was either, okay, do I double down in Europe? Like you said, and and get a few more years out of my career, uh, doing another Tour de France, uh, all this stuff, or, or do I go into to this gravel scene, into the unknown? Um, and I kind of tested the waters with a few potential sponsors, some good relationships I had in the industry from my career. And um... do, 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 do. It's intermission time on the Roadman Podcast, and I use the intermission time for us all to take the little bit of a <sighs> collective exhalation. I always love reading a book when I get to the end of a paragraph because I feel like I need focus all the way to the end of the paragraph and then that punctuation gives me that little bit of an exhalation. This is your exhalation, but, and I say this all the time, it is your time to head on over to patreon.com forward slash Anthony underscore Walsh. That is the place you can buy me a beer. That is the place you can buy me a coffee. That's the place you can say thank you for facilitating this chat with Pete Stetner. This man is dropping knowledge bombs all over the place on me. It's the place where you say, you know what, you should be paid for your work. So you can go there. You can make a small donation. What's a small donation for you? But for me, it's it's two things. One, it's validation that this podcast is moving in the right direction. But two, and most importantly, it's the lifeblood of this podcast. It helps me cover the costs. It helps me keeping this podcast coming to you with these top guests week after week. The link to the Patreon is in the description, and I do appreciate your support. Now, let's get back to those knowledge bombs from Mr. Pete Stetner. There's a resounding yes, so I just kind of... So how does it work? Because, you know, if you're at World Tour, obviously, you know, Trek are handing you a paycheck once a yeah. month. And you don't, it's not like you're going out fishing for independent sponsors. Right. How does that work when you decide to make the jump over to gravel? <laughs> it was a learning process. I mean, I do not have a degree in business. And I am basically, I mean, I'm running a, a, a one-man team now. I am, I'm team manager, logistics coordinator, rider, trainer. Um, Mechanic mechanic no no i i got a buddy who really helps me out i'm still mechanically retarded because i am a world tour roadie <laughs> and um um and i mean yeah i went in one month from having like a couple good buddies uh sportful cliff bar you know um and canyon they just had the belief in me and they're like all right like this makes sense let's do it 
Um, and then putting the rest of the pieces in the puzzle. I mean, all of a sudden I had, you know, my social media stats evaluated for like influencer status, put an actual dollar amount to that. And like a whole sponsorship PowerPoint deck and, and links and photos and all these things. And, and really trying to show, you know, my, my value to sponsors and what I could give them, what, what could they get in return? And, um, I mean, it was crazy. I mean, I was pulling for the first from, I would say from November through, uh, February, I was pulling 7am to 6pm days every day, including training. I would get back and be social posts and, and sponsorship contracts and all that. So it's been, uh, without prying too much, uh, I don't expect you to tell us how much you're making, but is it a massive pay cut for you to take on this new project? I'm, I'm able to still race my bike full time. I'm able to be a pro. So, um, you know, I, I mean, that was, that was my whole thing talking to sponsors is, you know, I, I'm still very much a pro. I want to be a gravel pro and be, maybe be, I don't, I mean, Ted King, I guess, is a gravel pro, even though he doesn't say it because, you know, his, I mean, he was like, look, I was just enjoying the bike and, and winding out. And me, I'm very much, I'm here to race. I love it. I'm not going to sacrifice the fun around it. You know, I'm not going to be that reclusive world tour pro, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm can't say no to a beer. I think that's gravel rule number one, <laughs> but at but the you, same time, like I'm, I'm here to perform and I care about it. So I am. Well, you know, much- I, I love that as well, because I'm not sure if the same culture exists in the U S but definitely here in Ireland, uh, when you go to a race and you see somebody, the question is always, Oh, are you doing much? Like, are you doing much training? And mm-hmm. everyone will be, I was like, Oh no, 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 doing nothing. Like, you know, because you have mutual friends that they're crushing like 30, 35 hour weeks. And you're like, they're saying, I'm doing nothing, but you're just owning it. You're going, no, no, I'm not here to like take part. Like I'm here to win. Yeah. And I I think that's fresh for people to say that. I mean, one thing that I can't stand is a lot of guys just saying, oh, I'm just here to smell the roses and have a good time. It's like, well, no, I mean, this is a race. You have a number on your back. And I noticed last year at these races, like, me and the EF boys were like coming basically thinking we were going to smell the roses and just like enjoy a different style of a bike ride race. And all of a sudden like, Oh, it's on. These guys are going for it. Like here we are. Right. Gloves are off now. You know, it, it, it is a race no matter how you slice it. I mean, and I, I almost feel like it's a disservice to the race to not give your most. And it's a disservice to the people who don't get into these lottery systems. I mean, they turn away probably 10,000 people in the dirty cans of lottery who would give everything and train all year for it. So of course I'm going to try my hardest. Um, but yeah, just to, to back up real quick. I mean, I, I, so I mean, setting up my sponsor portfolio, I mean, it was like, Hey, you know, I, I just, I need some of these funds so I can be a pro bike racer. Like I, I don't, and luckily I don't have to get a job at a cafe on the side. Like I am still focused on racing my bike. So I'm able to make ends meet. And you see it as a sustainable model? Like on my end, it looks like, you know, I chatted to Ian and Ted and I, before I even chatted to you, I picked out you, Ian and Ted as three people who I think are really important in the future of cycling at the moment, maybe more so than the other two guys realize. I'm not sure what your opinion is, but I think it's this move from elite sport to participatory sport because we can't identify with the world tour. Like everyone looks yeah. the same. It's like It's like watching you know marvel superheroes like (laughs) it is they're not real people it yeah i mean and that was something that i was very adamant in talking with my sponsors is like i'm going to take this seriously but i mean performance and 
and embracing the two-wheel community are held on equal equal levels and i mean that's what drew me to this and what i loved even more about the race was just the vibe and the the fun around these events i mean that is what we all love for uh, most of us love about cycling in the first place i mean it's having the beer with your buds after the ride is just as good as the ride reliving it you know and i mean sorry i forgot where you're going um what, what was the original question? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't worry, I do that all the time. Go on tangents. Actually, what I want to dive into is what uh, what's your training looking like at the moment, and what alterations have you made in your training now versus when you were World Tour? Um. Oh no, but I. I let me continue. I, oh, you're never. Um, <laughs> Go for it. No, but I think um, you know, I, I this is an that's the whole thing about gravel is it's inclusive everyone can do it it is participatory you know you and i are doing the same course and feeling the same feelings whether or not it takes you three hours more than me okay like we get to the finish line and we can identify with that and and for other pros who want to follow this template that i've started on my side like please do like this is not an exclusive thing i don't want to be the only or one of the few gravel pros like there's more room at the table for this as long as you come with the right attitude and the right mindset and but i you, but you know what's different it does. it's different as well i i think it's 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 not gonna be inclusive enough because it's gonna be so personality driven like you know you're a big person head's a big personality but like yeah. you're not gonna get one of the kazakh dudes coming over into this because they're just language no, barrier well and they don't fit with it because i mean you have to appreciate the the communal side of cycling and the same aspect i mean i i think ted is more even more adamant than i am that we don't want this becoming road racing off road you know like we don't want you know everyone was scared about the pros ruining gravel last year are we going to come with our team buses and our massage therapists and all that and no i mean we're just, we're dudes who happen to pedal bike a little bit faster. We're not saving the world or anything, but we just want to enjoy it like everybody else. Um, and I think there's, there's value in, in certain, certain brands can, can identify with that. And world tour racing is good. And it's, I mean, the tour de France is the pinnacle um, of, but it's, it's only, it's a one-sided pro road racing is, it is only about speed and the racing and, and the, the pure sporting side of it. Um, it's just a different angle completely. How does the new Wahoo Frontiers team, how does that sit in with the kind of, you know, I think the World Tour, I think team. I think Gravel, yeah. I think individual. Now I think Wahoo Frontiers, I think I'm confused. It, it's, a, it's a weird message and they've got something cool going on. It is not a team. The Wahoo Frontiers is a group of athletes. I would call it more of a collective. And we're all pushing into a new frontier of the sport of our career, um, everything like that. You know, you got myself and Ian leaving the world tour road racing. Colin Strickland is uh, the white knight of gravel at the moment. I mean, um, Heather Jackson is one of the best triathletes in the world and she's dabbling in gravel and she shreds. Um, and Amity and Heather, or sorry, Amity and Sarah Sturm are also, they're like, they're the, coming up and they come from, cyclocross and mass rides so it is the new frontier um but we're not teammates we're, we're more of like 
frenemies, I guess, you know, like, I mean, we're, we're racing, like I'm going to race against Ian and Colin at every race and we're going to go like gloves off. Here we go. But at the same time, you know, like in the gravel spirit, like if Ian's sitting on the side of the road with a flat tire, as I come by, like a CO2 may just fall out of my pocket. I'm not going to stop and change his tire for him, but we're gonna, okay. So let me pitch you a hypothetical here. So it's you, Ian, Colin are coming in the road in the Belgian Waffle Road in a group of four with Ted mm-hmm. King. Are you going to give him the old shake and bake? Is the deal going to be done nope. or is it going to be every man for himself? It's going to be every man for himself. And that's what I love about gravel right now. At least I hope unless I'm the fourth man right now. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's a very possibility because I'm the guy apparently who's ruining gravel. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's... It's gentlemen's racing. That's what I really like. Like, I mean, everyone's taking their pull until they blow. It's honorable racing. It's, um, there's no sitting on backstabbing tactics. What I love about gravel is just the lack of regulation. And when I think about, you know, Lachlan Martin and Alex Howes coming down mm-hmm. from World Tour, when I think World Tour, I just think sterile. I think about, you know, okay, is your seat post the right distance behind the bottom bracket i just think oh rules when i think gravel i just think of me as a kid and my dad's a mechanic and i'm making bikes with two different size wheels and like racing handlebars on mountain bikes and then you have the whole thing with aero bars and they're allowed which i think is kind of cool because there's no rules but then there seems to be a revolt around them where you're being almost you know communally ostracized for using them where are you sitting on that debate yeah. Uh, well, two things, you know, the arrow bars is one thing. I'll touch on that in a second. Um, no, one of the golden rules in gravel is you run what you brung, meaning, um, you know, if you want to be in a freaking time trial skin suit and an arrow helmet and freaking color coordinated socks, great. You do that. If you want to ride in a, in a football Jersey, hell yeah. Good on you. You're out there, you know, and that's, what's really cool and inviting about it. And I think like, that's why gravels gained so much popularity is because if you think of your entry into the sport, you know, if you are, let's say you're going to enter through road racing, your first experience is going to be a category five parking lot criterium. It's going to be dangerous. You probably are going to end up with some road rash and it's going to feel elitist. Your socks aren't going to match your shoes and all that, whatever. There, there's so much elitism in road racing. And, um, and then mountain biking, I mean, you need actual skills to like rip trail. Otherwise, you're going to get hurt. I mean, that's, that's a whole other technical side of things. And gravel is, it's exercise, it's getting out there, it's getting away from traffic, it's fully inclusive. So I think this has the potential to be the fastest growing side of, of the sport because of that. Um, and aero bars. Um, yeah. There was a big uh, shitstorm last year around Dirty Kansas because of it, but um, I'm all for them. I mean, it's, it's you do you. And, and Jeff Kabush and, and Ted King were very vocal about it, you know, for safety aspect and, like, it's not racing or, you know, you're, you're focusing too much on the racing. But, look, like, the safety aspect, I get it. I, I mean – but it's just about self-policing. Like, I was about to say, does that not come down I'm to not, wider discretion then? Like you're I had aero bars on my bike, but I didn't sit on them in the middle of the group. I didn't touch them for the first three hours of the race. But 
and if I saw someone in the group doing it, I'd be like, hey, dude, like, get out of the arrow bars in the middle of the pack. Like, that's just not cool and that's dangerous. It's just about talking about it. But at the same time, like, if it's allowed by the organizer, and I need to even go further because apparently in gravel, they're not called arrow bars. They're called comfort bars because in some time, in 10 hours, in the windy Flint Hills of Kansas, you're going to be on your own. You're going to be pedaling in the same position hour after hour. It's really nice to unweight your wrists, change your hip position a little bit, all of that. So they're called comfort bars, first of I, all. I think Ted said, like the general rule, that it's governed in the bunch. Do you call it a, a peloton, a bunch in gravel, or is it? Uh, there's, there's no rule. <laughs> we, we call it a gang, in the gang of gravel. Yeah. He said, it's just, don't be lame. And yeah. that's the thing he said, aerobars bars fell under. He just feels like, come on, don't be lame. Yeah, but at the same time, like Ted was talking about this last year, and my teammate Keel actually just put him in his place pretty easily. He, he just sent Ted a picture of Ted winning dirty cans of the year before with aerobars bars on his bike. Okay. So it's like, I mean, yes, it, I, I don't care if it's lame. Like I, if they're faster I'm gonna, and they're allowed, I'm going to use them. I'm going to use them in a responsible way. Um, and I don't want to be um, guilt-tripped into not running what I want to run. I feel like that's not the point. And I feel like if guys can't speak for the masses, I mean, that's, that's the antithesis of this. Um, Will the organizers impose rules around this stuff because i know some it's do. like some do it's only right now that's dirty kansas mid-south maybe a few others that allow aero bars um each race has their own regulations so i'm happy to not use them if they're not allowed i don't i don't care but you know for something like dirty kansas i think they're an advantage so i will use them if i can yeah i've never used them on gravel so i am looking forward to getting a set and checking them out is it much uh is there much speed difference i assume I it's not so. i assume it's not equivalent to like Robot no, I mean, it's not like a T and you're more upright. So it's more like a triathlete position where you can kind of sit in that at position for hour after hour. Um, you know, you got to be smart about it. You know, you got to keep your head up and watch for potholes and rough stuff and out of them all day long. But it's just, like I said, it's comfort. You just, it's just nice to hunker down, take a bit more aerodynamics, uh, off weight your wrists a little bit. Have you that tested kind of them in the wind tunnel or will you test them in the wind tunnel? No, I'm not in a wind tunnel with, with the gravel bike. I mean, <laughs> it's it's a go so much, there. You have so much other, maybe, yeah, maybe. It depends on how much money is going to end up in the sport. Like I said, I don't think we want it to become road racing off-road. But, um, but it's, it's that fine line, isn't it? Because we don't want it to become off-road road racing, mm -hmm. like World Tour. But it would be cool if there was enough money around it to sustain an ecosystem of pro riders. Because, you know, let's face it, we love watching as fans, yeah. the best riders kicking shit out of each other at the front of a race. But yeah. if the best riders have to work in a cafe part-time to do it, like, you know, maybe I'm thinking of a hypothetical person that wants to come across the road race the next season, but maybe doesn't have the business savvy head on them that you had. Like, yeah. would they be able to navigate the same deals that you've done this year? Probably not. I mean, this is right now, this is, um, you have to be very entrepreneurial. I mean, you are, it's the, I'm a privateer and I am a one man team. And there's, I mean, sometimes, and the training is secondary to the business. I mean, I am fitting, Oh, okay. Today I don't have a podcast uh, and, uh, and social media posts and, and a, a call with a potential project with a sponsor. I can get in five or six hours. Oh, today is slammed. I'm going to, it's not about building out the blocks perfectly for pure speed, but that's what world tour 
road is and was. And there's guys who are totally happy and they want to sit on top of the mountain in the hotel room and watch Netflix and just think about going fast on the bike. And that, and I don't say this in a negative way, but the, the selfish pursuit of speed and bodily perfection. That's what World Tour Road Racing is. And I played that game for my whole career and I, it's so hard and I have the utmost respect for those guys, but that's not what gravel is. I mean, there's a lot more moving parts um, and it's a lot more work, uh, longer days, I would say, but it's, it's also a lot more validating because they're my relationships, my sponsors, I'm the boss. It's basically my company, right? Um, and I think anyone can relate to, to leaving their workplace and starting their own company. I mean, that's, that's the dream. And, um, Look, it sounds like you're running a very similar day that I'm running with running a coaching company where you're looking to you know, get strategic brand partnerships. You're looking at social media yes. awareness, running paid advertising maybe even. Yeah, exactly. All of that, yeah. Uh, let's have a talk about... Uh, you're training. Uh, we'll circle back to that one. I love doing that in the podcast. I just drop an idea and we circle back to it sometimes weeks later. <laughs> in this case, we go back to it a bit sooner. What's your training looking like? Um, I still have my coach. I mean, we, we have a very good relationship. We talk about family and baking bread or whatever more than training sometimes. But it's, I mean, I realize that I am not going to have these world tour stage races for the fitness bump anymore. Like, I mean, there's nothing like the tour down under in January to rip you into shape and you can't replicate that. So when I made this decision, I actually went back to my coach, Scott, and I just said, look, Scott, I need to, like, I'm going to need you more than ever, actually, because I'm going to have to train more than ever. Um, with that said, so, I mean, I'm, I'm still doing training, not right now with the virus. Right now it's mental health riding and going for a Strava or a Zwift race or whatever piques your interest on the day, right? Yeah. Uh, maintenance, basic maintenance, staying fit. When you do have an objective that you can touch, then you turn it on again and I'll call Scott. But, um, but I mean, until the virus, yeah, I mean, I've been doing my normal road intervals, all of that, um, just with a bit more flexibility thrown in, um, more, more adventure rides than normal. I mean, now it's my job to get off road away from, from the, the interval button on the climbs too. And like to nerd it out for anyone who's into their numbers listening, is it possible for you to replicate like your chronic training loads now as a yes. supported athlete? It's without different. The big yes. Yes. Um, I mean, my, my little training peak CTL graph was as high, higher actually than it was last year. I mean, I didn't have the, the same, uh, world tour depth, but I'm also, I, I'm not a stage racer anymore. I mean, mo all, most of these are very much one day races. So I'm a one day racer. So I'm focused not so much on four days, four days, four days, you know, three, four day blocks in a row. And then a rest day, I'll maybe do two or even one day, just massive. And then I'll take a rest day. Um, I'm carrying an extra kilo of beer belly because you can't say no to beer and gravel that's bad form <laughs> and uh and i love beer that's that's my second passion and um so so i mean there's there's a few subtle differences but the numbers and especially just not the the international traveling i mean going to australia going to abu dhabi going to Girona, like 
the chronic jet lag and missing those training days from traveling and going to races, low, uh, that affects your your overall fitness as well. Whereas I could just uh, I could just build, 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 which was nice. You strike me as a rider, and definitely from chatting to some people uh, before I got on about you, you were a guy who always showed up in shape, and that was one of your things. And I know a lot of our oh, listeners' thanks. diet is a big like we were too for anyone listening i suppose nearly the world tour equation is your power and your weight are two sides of a coin uh yeah. you can't show up with good power and shit weight or vice versa uh diet is something that i know a lot of listeners struggle with is there any tips you'd give people on maintaining weight or losing weight yeah um you know there's all these diet fads i mean there's there's always a new hot thing don't buy into it. I mean, it's basic. I mean, at the end of the day, calories burned versus calories consumed. If one is higher than the other, you're going to gain or lose weight. Very basic addition subtraction. And, and then you can get into the quality of the calorie and all that. I mean, but I mean, yeah, if I know I want to have a nice IPA after my ride today, like, I could ride an extra half an hour and make sure there's another 300 calories burned or whatever to consume it. I mean, it's, it's really that simple. And I mean, some of the best advice I ever got was from Jonathan Botters actually about diet. And it was just about everything, not just diet, but it pertains to diet just being everything in moderation, even moderation. So, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, enjoy a little bit of fries or enjoy the beer don't go full ham, just keep it at one beer. Right. And, and, you know, and, but there are also days and like the holiday, for example, like, hell yeah, binge, like go all in and it makes you hungrier to do it right later. I mean, you need that mental release too. So, um, that's the way to, that I, I look at it. Um, I'm actually quite relaxed about it. It's just, the more you exercise, the more you can eat. And honestly, I love eating, so I just try to exercise more. And have you tried any stuff like uh, intermittent fasting, playing around with ketones? I, I've played with all that stuff. Um, I mean, there, there might be something, but to do it really right, I mean, you've got to really do it right. And even then, it's, you're not sure it's going to work out. I mean, yeah, you, to do the ketone thing right, I mean, you need to do your Team Sky style camp, and you, know, you should not be working and, and doing all these other normal person activities and you should be doing your pre-breakfast ride and then you know timing your con consumption at that and keeping it going for weeks on end to kick in that fat burning and get your body used to that and it's like it's just why especially in gravel or for for some of your coaching clients like it's not your job to be like that i mean you are not trying to do the tour de france and get that last one percent. Like that's not that's not the point. Well, I think that's it. You hit the nail on the head there. It's that last one percent. Like I talk to coaching clients all the time. They come along to me with these, like, oh, I'm thinking of using bicarb soda, and I was like, look, this is the one percent you're after. Like, just don't have fucking ten beers on a Wednesday night. Like, you're not the dude who needs to exactly. look for this every like tiny micro gain. Yeah. No. Uh, um. And a happy racer is a fast racer. That's the thing that I always found. That, that was what worked for me. And if I, I it, and that's, that's why I always showed up fit to races is because I, I marched the beat of my own drum a bit and I would tell the team, hey, 
I'm going back home to California for these two weeks, even though I'm going to deal with jet lag because I'm going to be on my roads with my family and, and my food. And, and I know I come back better than that. Whereas if I sit on my own in Europe, I go stir crazy. Um, and it, as long as you're happy and you're ripping, the legs will follow the head. Is there any performance uh, aids you're using for recovery or extra fitness at the moment in gravel, like using space boots, CBD oils, anything? Um, I am sponsored by Floyd's of Leadville, and I'm I'm a believer in CBD. I think it helps for sleeping. Um, It's not gravel specific by any means. I used it in the Vuelta last year. I think it's better than Western medicine and sleeping pills, which are rife in the pro peloton. Um, I... Uh, I have a pair of the Normatec boots for my pro days. And if I'm here training hard at home, I'm, yeah. I mean, I, I hop in the boots while I'm watching HBO at night. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm still very much training the best I can. It's just, it's, it's just, it's not the, the end all be all. Like, I mean, I, I'm just balancing life a lot more with it, which is a lot more rewarding. And I think it'll give me a lot more longevity in the sport. Have you played um, around with a uh, cold therapy, heat therapy, anything like that? I mean, all my pro career. Yeah. I mean, I've tried all those hacks. I'm not doing it as much right now. Um, yeah. You know, as far as supplements for your coaching clients directly, um, the one supplement that I really felt made a difference that wasn't just snake oil and even ketones are still in that snake oil realm right now. Right. Like we don't really know. Um, it seems to work for some and not others. Uh, the one thing that I really felt helped and is fully legal was beta alanine. And I, I still use that training. I think that's, that's nice. Um, it's basically just a bit of a lactic buffer. Um, just makes your legs hurt a little bit less. Kind of um, makes you feel I, like just ants crawling all over your skin. If you take too much of it. <laughs> <laughs> you got to find that line, of course. <laughs> uh, tell me this, Pete. Uh, I heard you speak in, I think it was a couple of seasons ago, about your Olympic ambitions and that you would love to get to the Olympics. Is yeah. that something you're completely writing off now? And if so, is this, is it a hard pill to swallow? Yeah. Um, the Olympics, another tour de France. I mean, there was, I had, um, I still had goals in the world tour. Um, I really do. And I did. And, uh, but, but it just became a question of, you know, I, I have more goals and desire and objectives in this new greener pasture or do I want to keep pursuing like this kind of checklist in, in road. Um, and for me, just gravel decisions outweighed the pro road decisions, uh, in multiple angles. But I mean, yeah, there's things I wish I could have done. Um, I don't know, man, maybe if they keep delaying and postponing due to this virus, uh, gravel will become an official Olympic discipline. I was, I was thinking that like how far off that are we? (laughs) <laughs> i i don't think i mean the uci doesn't even have a grasp on gravel yet um you need to so get unfortunately yeah the, the whole olympic thing man i really wanted to do it that was i would have loved to um it's just so political you realize once you start going for it and it's just crazy in cycling how there's this rule where you have to use the same athlete for both disciplines meaning you have to use yeah. the same rider for the road it, it, it and the TT. Makes like, no do sense. You see, do you see Usain Bolt having to run the marathon so he can do the hundred meter sprint? What yeah. the hell? Like that. Like, we have that in Ireland as well. Like yeah, the same selection problem, and it's yeah. 
it, it's insane. Like, cause obviously we've Dan Martin who'd be, you know, one of the favorites going into and it's exactly. like, he, he's not going to be able to TT. Like what's, you know, do you send Ryan Mullen because he can TT, but he's not going to do as well in the road race and support Dan? It's just like, it's crazy. That's exactly, so, yep, yep. Same conundrum here, but... Uh, uh, before we finish up, Pete, I know you're uh, you're uh, basically a small business these days, like you're saying. <laughs> uh, what's the kind of the products you'd like to give a shout out to and where's the best place people can follow along on your journey? Um, the best place is my Instagram and my Twitter. Um, I'm working on getting a fancy website going, but uh, that requires extra help. <laughs> and uh, I'm not an IT guy. Um, so at P Stetna on the Instagram, Peter Stetna fully spelled out on the Twitter. Um, Instagram is probably the best one. Uh, that's where I focus more on. Um, and you know, I've just, I've got a great group of, of companies behind, behind me that, uh, value the same things I value and I can text, text them directly and talk about things. So that's Canyon bicycles, uh, very fitting with, you know, disruptive, changing the game, not uh, following the normal path. Um, Shimano tipped tail, shoes, glasses, helmets, the best of the best, especially when gravel and, and tires with IRC, same, same thing. Um, just, you know, you need just the right stuff because these events are so freaking hard to finish. I mean, people are really hypersensitive to what they're running to make sure they have the best chance at making it to the finish line of DK. And tire seems to be the question that you get over and over again. I'm with IRC and they're a lot of fun because um, they actually own the rubber factory in Japan. So they can make what we're making some cool stuff. I mean, we're really trying to innovate right now. Um, so it's a very rewarding relationship. Um, and just they're, they're coming back strong. They, they have a new vigor in, in cycling again. Um, Wahoo GPS uh, Actually, you know, I meant to ask you this. This is a good little segue for asking you. It almost sounds staged, and I'm not sure how honest an answer you're going to give me here. <laughs> you're, it's like asking the barber if we need a haircut. Uh, my garment bounced off when I was out training a few weeks ago and went into mm -hmm. the sea. Shock horror. And so, <laughs> so now I need to. Oh, I, I had a full YouTube video about this. I mounted a full scale search for my garment in the sea. <laughs> it was epic. Uh -huh. uh, now I'm like, oh, will I go with a Wahoo? Will I go? I've always used Garmin. Now I'm like, hmm. Let's have a little look. Should I go with the Wahoo? I think so. I'm really enjoying it. Um, the battery life on the Roam is... The Roam's awesome. a big one? Yeah, yeah. That's their gravel adventure one. I mean, it's a bigger screen for seeing the map. Um, a lot of these gravel races are self-navigation. Um, and the battery life, I mean, I can do a freaking 20-hour block without charging it. No problem. That's pretty um, cool. So that's, that's nice. Um, and then... Uh, Cliff Bar is probably my first sponsor, you know, and they're, they're, they're one of my big boy, big dogs for, for partnership and just the holistic lifestyle, the, the values, the company values, um, uh, Stumptown coffee, really good coffee. I'm a bit of a coffee snob these days. Athletic brewing is, um, it's actually non-alcoholic beer and there's uh, a lot of people knock it, but just, this is the company that is changing the game with um in terms of uh the non-alcoholic perception their ipa is voted one of the best 50 beers in the u.s yeah and you're a bit and of a you're a bit of a beer nut you're saying that's kind of your second yeah. passion and but you know and sometimes there's there's a time and a place for the full alcohol but there's also a time and a place for you know uh being being 
regimed. And, you know, for those people who don't want to, who want to knock back 10 beers, like try the athletic brewing. I mean, you're going to feel like you're having your normal beer and it's going to be a hundred calories and, and no alcohol in it. Um, well, like I'm saying to you off air, I'm at the moment, I'm riding the tandem uh, with a buddy of mine trying to qualify for Tokyo on the tandem. And <laughs> my buddy on the back is visually impaired, obviously. Uh, but when he lost his eyesight, like he went gangbusters on the beer and it became a real problem for him. So he hasn't been able to drink since. So I'm definitely mm. going to have to get him a case of this uh, non-alcoholic yeah. stuff. And being NA, I don't know if they ship in Europe yet, but being NA, you know, they ship direct to your doorstep. You don't have to be 21 or 18 for you guys. And, um, and then Sportful, um, another early sponsor who stepped in with me from the beginning and they're fun and collaborative and, and we're tight. So, um, sweet, sweet. Uh, yeah. Pete, it has been a blast. It has been a pleasure. Uh, hopefully, I'll get you back on the podcast again at some stage if we ever get some gravel racing back on the calendar. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. I got to go adventure ride now. <laughs> Cheers, man. Brain, brain bag on the road bike because that's gravel. <laughs> ah, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. All right. Talk to you soon. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. But please do not disembark the aircraft until we have taxied and we are fully at the gate. Before you head on off, before you run out the door, before you go anywhere, let me just remind you of the two ways I keep this podcast coming to you every single week. Head on over to our Roadman merch store. The link is in the description down below. Pick yourself up some swag. Pick up some swag for a friend. Pick up some swag for a competition. Pick up some swag. That's really what I'm saying here. Just go and get yourself some swag because it's cool as shit. And you're going to look like the dog's bollocks walking around in your Roadman. I was cycling before it was cool t-shirt or hoodie. Boom. Can't wait to have mine. Secondly, head on over to patreon.com if you haven't already and help me keep creative control of this podcast. Help keep it away from the big brands, the big businesses. Help me quench my thirst with a pint of beer. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Anthony underscore Walsh and I'm going to chat to you next Wednesday. It's been a pleasure. Talk to you soon.